Equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. Maybe 
Just maybe his power is demonic. Okay? Bold words. And Jesus responds. And this is how Jesus responds. He says this to these men. He says, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men. And whatever blasphemies, whatever foolish things you say or utter, but whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, these are Jesus' enemies, he has an unclean spirit. So just in this one statement in bold, this is where we're going to camp out. We got some good news and we got some bad news. Talk about the good news. What sins will be forgiven? Maybe if you grew up in church, you had an old grandma who reads your Bible, they sometimes broach this concept or this discussion of an unforgivable sin. But what does Jesus say in this, this verse? He says what? All sins will be forgiven. All sins will be forgiven. So have you guys ever heard this debate of is there an unforgivable sin? Anybody? Okay. So you might have heard different things before. Maybe some people say like using the Lord's name in vain. I hope not. I work with our football team. Okay. And there's a lot of F-bombs. And there's a lot of GDs, and there's a lot of cursing. And cursing God is serious. We're way too flippant with the name of God. It's serious, but it's not unforgivable. Some people would say, well, murder. Isn't that the worst thing? Because you're playing God and taking a human life? But there's just one problem. See, when I read this book, okay, the three most significant authors in the Bible, Moses, David, and the Apostle Paul, guess what they all have in common? Before they came to Jesus, they were murderers. They were guilty of murder. Well, what about denying Jesus? Maybe if you walk away from Jesus, that's unforgivable. What about Peter, who denied Jesus three times? Well, what about adultery, being unfaithful, or uh, committing infidelity with your spouse? Well, two times we see Jesus forgiving and restoring women who are caught in adultery. The most popular answer I hear when you bring up this idea of an unforgivable sin, you can probably guess where I'm going, is suicide. Suicide, I'm just say this. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says that suicide is unforgivable. Okay? And just think about this. Would Jesus forgive murder? Absolutely. In suicide, okay, its most basic form is just murder of yourself. But some people say, well, Ben... That means you don't have opportunity for repentance. You're not able to confess your sin before you enter your life. And let me just say this. Every single person, the moment you take your last breath, we're all going to die with unconfessed sin. Right? Have you confessed every sin, every moment of disobedience, uh, every simple thought and action you've ever committed? No. And here's what we'll talk about just a little bit later. But when people say that, they're not trusting in Jesus. They're trusting in their confession. They're saying it's my repentance, my ability to confess every sin that makes me right with God. But see, when you trust in Jesus, Jesus covers all sin, past, present, and future. Let me just say this, because we've got to talk about mental health, but suicide is sinful. It's extremely selfish. Because what you're doing is you're taking that internal pain and angst, and depression, and you're putting it on other people. It's serious, but even suicide is not unforgivable. Now, there's this myth in our culture today that if you're a real Christian, a genuine follower of Jesus, your mental health will always be up. You'll never be depressed. 
Let me just tell you this. I've read this Bible cover to cover many, many times, and there's many, many men and women of faith who enter seasons of sadness, hopelessness, and depression. There's a prophet named Elijah who at one point prays to God, God, would you just take my life? There's a man named Job who seemingly lost everything. He prays this to God, God, why did you even bring me out of the womb? In fact, there's an entire book of your Bible called Lamentations. It's not a word we use today. But to lament means to grieve. It means to cry out to God. So let me just say this, students. Depression is complicated. It's biological. It's genetic. It's spiritual. It's family. It's circumstances. But just know this. Because I know there's men and women in this room who are experiencing something along those lines. Okay? Is that you're not alone. You have this community in this room. You have the Spirit of God, and the best thing you can do right now is talk to God, but also talk to someone. Don't carry this burden alone, okay? So this is the good news, that everything we just rattled through can be forgiven by Jesus Christ. But what's the bad news? What is this unforgivable sin? Well, Jesus mentions blaspheming the Holy Spirit, or blasphemy of the Spirit. Well, Ben, what is blasphemy? When's the last time you used that word? Like, I can't even spell that word. What is blasphemy? Well, let's look at the next slide. Do you know this? Jesus was crucified for being guilty of blasphemy. This is the crime that Jesus committed. This is a verse in John that says this. The Jews, these same enemies, they picked up stones to stone them. They said this. It's not for a good work we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. And here's the definition of what blasphemy is. You, being a man, make yourself God. Simply put, blasphemy all right, is speaking or living as if you're God. But Jesus is referring to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying it's not just something you say. It's not just saying GD. Okay? It, 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 it's not like an irreverent word. Blaspheming is more of a spirit. It's a lifestyle. It's not something you just do once in your past. It's consistent. It's habitual. It's the very essence and spirit of your life. And what is the spirit? That being a man, being a woman, you act or you function as if you're God. You want to know what the one unforgivable sin is? It's going through life here at the University of West Georgia as if you're God of your life. Do you see that? Now, I know a lot of people in the room are like, ooh, I'm safe. I'm not guilty of that. I know I'm not God. I would never tell people I'm God. Just hang with me just for a moment. Because what makes God God? Well, first off, he's all-powerful. And second, he's all-knowing. Here's what I mean. God knows what's best, and he's in control. And there's not a single person in this room who would, like, grab the mic for me. Say, you know what, guys? I'm divine. I'm supernatural. I'm your creator. Bow down and worship me. And yet, most of you, most of our campus, go through your day-to-day as if you're the center of the universe. As if you're God. So how do you live? Do you live as, as if you know what's best for your life? Do you live as if you want to be in control of your entire life? See, a Christian is somebody who says, God, it's not about my will, it's about thy will. I'll follow you. Someone who blasphemes says it's what? It's my will. So think about this. So like, think about your money.
money. Think about your bank account. Do you say it's my money or this is God's money? Okay, think about your words. Do you say this is my mouth? I'm going to use my words in a way that honors and please God. Think about your relationships and sex life. Do you say this is God's bedroom or this is my bedroom? Think about your time, your future, the decisions you make as you think about your career. God, is this your life or is this my life? Okay, here's probably the best way to put it. Let me show you a picture right here. Okay, obviously we got a car moving down the highway. Think just for a moment that this car represents your life. It's your life. And as it's moving down the highway, it's moving into the future. So here's the million dollar question. Where would you place God in the car of your life? For example, you might say, man, God's just like a hitchhiker on the side of the road. He ain't really in my life. I'm just driving by fast. Some of you might say God's in the back seat, okay? He's chilling, he's napping, he's dozing off. Every once in a while, he kind of pops up and starts eating snacks. Some of you might say God's riding shoddy, okay? He's pointing out the right way to go. He's telling me when to hit the brakes and put my phone up, okay? But God's riding shoddy, okay? One guy, I, I was showing this to him, I like, drew on a little beat nap, and he said, Ben, just want to let you know, I gave God the ox, call, ox cord of my life. I was like, I don't even know what that means. All right, but it sounds like a big decision, okay? Or, where else could God be? Not in the driving shotgun, but in the driver's seat. He's got hands on the wheel. He's driving, I'm not, okay? So here's the question. Where does God want to be? This should be an easy one. Where does God want to be? He wants to be in the driver's seat, okay? And when we say, God, I know what's best. I'm in control. You're along for the ride. We are guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And look, like on this campus, we just call it like having fun or finding myself or, or, or just looking for satisfaction. But if you're unwilling to give God the wheel of your life, you're playing God. You're saying, God, you don't know what's best. And God, I'm in control. And according to Jesus Christ, you won't be forgiven. Because pride puts you outside the reach of God's forgiveness. And it's not that God can't forgive you, like he's weak and impotent. It's that you won't allow God to forgive you. There's no limits to the grace and mercy of God. But in order to receive forgiveness, you've got to surrender and say, God, what Carrie Underwood would say, Jesus, take the wheel. You're in control. Okay, that, that will get you moving. I'm going to carry Underwood. So, we're about to pause for a little bit of discussion, but you might be wondering, like, if I'm a true believer, a true follower of Jesus, can I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. Okay? Because blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is a refusal to give God control of your life. It's a lifestyle of unrepentant, willful sin. And Christians sin in all sorts of different ways. Amen? But we don't sin like that. See, when Christians sin, first off, they try to avoid sin. They try to resist sin. They fight sin. They hate sin. They don't embrace sin as a lifestyle. And when they do sin, they ask forgiveness. And they repent. And they try to change. So here's the good news. We're going to talk about this in just a moment after our little intermission discussion. But tonight, yes, tonight, you can receive this gift of forgiveness. But before we get there, we've got to talk about sin. So I want you to take a couple minutes. And this is a comment, a statement I hear all over campus. And they say this, Yo, Ben, Mr. Webb, Coach, 
Hey, aren't all sins the same? Aren't all sins equal to God? So, agree or disagree, talk amongst yourself, embrace the faith. What do you think about this comment, that all sins are the same? Okay. What, 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 what do you think about the discussion question? Are we pretty torn? Provocative, tough question, huh? Is anybody like dying for an answer? Is anybody wondering what in the world does the Bible say? Well, here's what the scripture says. All right, are all the sins the same? Yes and no. Yes and no. You guys hate me right now? Okay. Let's start with no. Some sins are worse than others, right? Some sins are more destructive to the glory of God and human flourishing, and so they're more serious, right? It is worse, okay, to murder somebody than just be angry with somebody. It's more severe, it's more devastating to commit adultery than just to have a lustful thought. Some sins are more severe and therefore demand a greater judgment than others. But at the same time, yes, all sins are the same in this sense. Where did, what is the source of all sin? Where does all sin originate? From right here. It always comes from the heart. And every time we sin, we all sin against the same person. And who is that? It's God. So think about this. All sins are the same is that they all, they, they generate from the heart. Every time we sin, we're choosing to love, worship, and adore something over God. It could be something socially unacceptable, like hard drugs, or sleeping around. Or it could be something that is generally favorable in our culture, like your GPA your job, your career, or your body, okay? But here's the other thing we have to remember, okay? Is that the standard that we compare ourselves to are not our classmates, our teammates, or our fraternity brothers. The standard that we compare ourselves to is Christ himself, a sinless and perfect person. This is why scripture would say that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So all sin is the same in this sense. In James 2.10 it says, you can keep the whole law in every area, but if you stumble at one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. You understand what scripture is saying? It's saying the standard is perfection. See, very often I talk to guys, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm pretty good. I'm like, who are you comparing yourself to? The guy who smokes just a little bit less, gets drunk a little bit less, cheats a little bit less than you? You can always find somebody worse than you on this campus, can you not? But ultimately, we're called to compare ourselves to Christ. And when we do, okay, it's like trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. We realize it's just too far. We're too far gone. Because the standard isn't pretty good or great. The standard is perfection. And we are sinners. We are rule breakers. We sin in our words. We sin in our thoughts. Our feelings. Our emotions. We sin in our actions and what we do. Have you thought about this one? We sin by not doing the right thing. There are certain times where we're just lazy and passive and don't step up. We can even be sinful with our good deeds. This might be hard to believe. But guys, I can actually get up here and preach and teach and lead Bible studies and not do it for the glory of God. I can do it for the glory of myself. You can even read Scripture and you can read about the Bible's best. Men like Isaiah, a prophet, he says this, I'm a man of unclean lips. The Apostle Paul, who wrote more books in the Bible than anybody, says this, I'm the chief or the greatest of all sinners. 
They may not be thinking yourself. Well, get them, Ben. Tell them, you know, this campus is going to hell. People don't respect God anymore. But you know what else is sinful? Being self-righteous and judgmental and looking down on people with a critical spirit. And the reality is this. All sin is the same because the consequence is identical. If you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. If you sin, you're a sinner. And we deserve to be separated from a holy God. Damnation. Separated. Apart from Jesus for eternity. And on top of that, apart from the work of Jesus Christ, we're all dead in our sin. So this brings us back to the original question. Can I be too far up from God? Yes. We all are. But the good news is this, is this is the first step. We're too far gone because God is bringing us to this point of realization that I can't fix my life. I can't be perfect. I can't live up to the holy standard. I can't make my life right, but here's the good news. Jesus can make me right. And the first step is simply admitting, confessing, being real and honest that I'm a sinner and I don't deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. So here's where we'll wrap it up. How do we get forgiveness? How do we receive it? We talk about good news. We talk about bad news. Here's some shocking news. I'm going to talk about the cost of forgiveness. Okay? Let's go to the next slide. Okay? This is not an actual picture of my family, but I had a little scenario last week where my seven-year-old daughter was riding a bike, and she actually scratched the car. It wasn't that severe. Okay? And in that moment, okay, I realized that if I'm going to be right with this neighbor, because we did it in her car, somebody's got to pay the price. You know, tracking? And here's the scenarios, okay? We don't say a word, and they pay the price. We fess up, which is what we did. We write a note, we call them, we knock on the door, but we got to pay the price. Or third, they file for insurance, and the insurance company pays the price. But here's what I want you to see. Forgiveness always comes at a price. Anytime there's sin, anytime there's a violation, anytime a rule is broken, okay, someone has to pay the price. In order for forgiveness to be freely received, but it's always costly for the giver. So if we're going to be forgiven, we can receive it freely, but it costs God everything. And as we've been discussing the unforgivable sin, what most of you probably assumed is that it was suicide. And suicide is when you intentionally end your life. And I said it was selfish. Because what you're doing is you're taking this pain. You're saying, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to avoid it. And you're putting on others, your families, your friends, and your loved ones. Well, if you ever thought about this, Jesus intentionally went to death. Let's go to the next slide. In fact, Mark 10, 45 says this, okay? That Jesus gave his life up as ransom for many. But when we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't call it suicide, do we? We don't say that he intentionally ended his life, we say that he gave up his life. It wasn't selfish, it was sacrificial. And you see what Jesus did? He did the exact opposite. He wasn't running from pain, what was he doing? He was bringing on the pain. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took every bit of guilt and condemnation and shame that you felt in the very pit of your stomach when you made that bad decision, when you committed that sin, when you broke that rule. Jesus experienced that for the entire church when he died on the cross. He didn't avoid the pain, he invited the pain. He didn't put it on others, he put it on himself. 
Brothers and sisters, college students, we're all blasphemers. We all, each and every day, we try to take the wheel of our life back to God. Forgiveness must be, must be paid. Will you let Jesus pay the price? So here's where we'll wrap it up. I want to give you just one example, one story of someone who received the gift of forgiveness. It's a man named John Newton. Not very famous, not a celebrity, not Isaac Newton, not Big Newton. This is John Newton. Any big John Newton fans in the room? Probably not. Let me tell you his story. Uh, he's a Brit. He was born in the 1700s. And he was born to a really godly mother. And his dad was a, was a sailor and a drunk. And unfortunately, his mom passed away when he was six years old. So as a six-year-old, this is a kindergartner, he was, he was basically raised on like a pirate ship. But this wasn't any ship. These were hard-living guys, blasphemers. He was pretty much left to himself, and he became this like debauched, sinful, selfish, wicked sailor. He would say this, I was capable of anything. I had no conscience and no fear of God. And in fact, he actually made his money on a slave ship. So on a regular basis, he would sail from England to West Africa. He would rip Africans away from their home, put them in shackles, and sell them for a profit. Evil. Wicked. The worst of the worst. And at one point in his life, when he was actually crossing the Atlantic Ocean, they encountered a violent storm. I'm talking like tsunami. Hurricane. He is pumping all night, just trying to move water out of the ship. He says that he pumped from 3 a.m. until noon. And for the first time in his life, he prayed. His prayer was this. He said, God, have mercy on me. You ever prayed that prayer before? You're like, God, just get me out of this, and I'll go to church on Sunday. Same deal. And it didn't change him. But he had to pump for day after day after day after day. And finally, after staying up for three straight days in survival mode, okay, he goes down to the very bottom of the ship to, like, pass out in a coma, and he finds a Bible. He finds a Bible. Flips it open. The New Testament. Picks a random verse. Luke 11 says this. God gives the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. That's not the main point of the talk tonight, but Eli said it. I'll say it again. If you want to experience the grace of God, you find it here. John Newton found it in the bottom of a ship, but he opened God's Word. And there was two weeks left on the voyage, and for every day he read his Bible, for hours. He read the Gospels. He read about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when he emerged in Great Britain, the slave captain was a changed man. He was redeemed. He was forgiven. And here's what he says, looking back in his journal. He says, I commit my soul to a gracious God who spared and preserved me when I was what? An apostate and a blasphemer, an infidel. And he delivered me from the state of misery in the coast of Africa. And let me just say this, okay? There's probably a lot of stories of how we've sinned and been sinned against, okay? No one here, I'm assuming, okay, has been like a captain on a ship that participated in human trafficking. But you know what? God redeemed them, and he not only saved them, guess what John Newton became? He became a pastor, a writer. He married a woman and stayed faithful to her for 40 years. Okay? And he started writing hymns. He started writing hymns. Let me just, just say this for a moment. What if you went to John Newton? He said, John Newton, were you too far gone? Or I feel too far gone. 
Well, there's no way that God can forgive me. What do you think John Newton would say to you? He'd probably say this. Let's go to the next slide. You say how God can accept such an awful person as yourself. You then express not only a low opinion of yourself, which is right, because we're all sinners, but also too low an opinion of the person, work, and promises of the Redeemer, which is wrong. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying this. If you can't forgive yourself, exactly. That's not your job. It's not your job to forgive yourself. Let Jesus forgive you. And embrace your sin. Confess your weakness. But know this. Don't have a low view of Jesus. You cannot sin the cross of Jesus Christ. You cannot run the love of Christ. When Jesus forgives, he forgives completely. And you know what? He had such an experience of the grace of God. He said, I can't just talk about it. I can't just tell people about it. What do I need to do? I need to sing about it. So when you put pen to paper and you wrote this song, you might know it. It's called Amazing Grace. Have you ever sung Amazing Grace before? The song we sing, the pinnacle hymn that explains the grace of God was written by a drunk slave trader who encountered the Holy Spirit in the bottom of a boat. If Christ can forgive John Newton, not only forgive him, but use him to proclaim the gospel, to sing the gospel, you know he can forgive you. And so what do we sing? Do we just think about mid-level grace? Mediocre grace? Average grace? No, we proclaim amazing grace. Because this is what Jesus offered. But it's not amazing obedience, amazing self-righteousness, amazing grinding, and self-effort, and pulling myself by the bootstraps. You see this? This is the gospel, is that we're saved by grace, and it's amazing grace. So brothers and sisters, listen to me. When you have a small view of your sin, you can have a small view of Jesus. But when you have a big view of sin, when you realize, just like John Newton, I'm a blasphemer, it changes the way you view Jesus. So if you're sitting in this room and you're still thinking I'm too far gone, you're right. You're halfway there, though. You can't save yourself. You cannot send the grace of God. You can't even save yourself. Let Christ save you. Now, the last time I was on this stage, we did like a big giveaway. Do you remember that? We probably gave away like an Xbox or AirPods or something along those lines. And one person in this room got a free gift just for showing up. And I bet they walked out of this room amazed, in awe, appreciative. But let me just say this. That person probably told the roommates, texted mama, look what I got. This free, amazing gift. Let me just say this. We're offering a better gift tonight. You know that, right? The best gift this universe has to offer, better than a new car, better than a degree, certainly better than AirPods or Xbox, we're giving out grace tonight. Jesus is offering forgiveness tonight. So brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Do you see what we're saying? We're saying we're all sinners. And you probably walked into this room and you're like, I'm a little bit of a sinner. And big on stage, and you realize pretty quickly what? My sin is so much worse than I imagined. And that's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news is this. We started talking about grace, and you realize what? This is amazing grace. It is bigger, it is better, it is more amazing than I can ever battle. That's the good news of the gospel. Okay? Guys, I'm going to say a quick prayer.
And we have a little bit more discussion to wrap it up. Father God, this is not necessarily like a popular sermon or talk. Like, I, I, I'm not going to get people really excited about talking about our sin and our disobedience and the fact that we drive our life and we blaspheme you. Lord, I pray this evening, despite, you know, our extracurriculars and our reputation and our image on campus, that we would come to grips with the fact that we've sinned against you and we have fallen short of the glory of God. Will we own the fact that we are far gone because we're not perfect? We can't live up to the standard. But God, I pray there's not a single person in the room who, who stops there. That this evening, there will be a lot of people receiving gifts. Receiving amazing grace. So Lord Jesus, I thank you that you can save anybody, forgive anybody, use anybody to preach your gospel. Get in my life. Would you do the same thing? Amen.